This is liberal Missouri. I don't know if you've been to liberal Missouri. I have actually been to liberal Missouri. It's a very interesting place at the present. What's more interesting possibly is the history of liberal Missouri. In the late 1880s, a man by the name of George Walser said, I think that people who are religious are wasting their time and energy. And I'm going to found a town that's based completely on atheism. In fact, in order to be a charter member of this town, liberal Missouri, you have to assent to these ideas. You cannot believe that there's a God. You can't believe in heaven. You can't believe in hell or the devil or anything spiritual of any kind if you want to be a charter member of liberal Missouri. And he said, here's what we're going to show the world. That when you get a bunch of people who are unbelieving atheists together and they act like atheists, then that's the best society you can possibly have in the world. And so that's what he said he was doing with liberal Missouri. Here's what happened. Quickly got out that liberal was not prospering like Walser thought it would and said it was going to. And a, if I understand it right, a member of the Lord's Church by the name of Clark Braden, who was a traveling preacher and debater and evangelist, heard about liberal Missouri. And so he stopped in to see what was happening in liberal. And he wrote an article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And in the article, he told what was happening in liberal Missouri. In fact, here's what he said. He said, the hotels are brothels. He said, everybody cusses. The women, the children, the men, they all do. He said, drunkenness is rampant. And most everybody wants out of liberal Missouri, but their property value has slumped so low that they can't even get out. Well, one of the hotel owners didn't take that kindly, his hotel being called a brothel. And so he sued Clark Braden at the time for $25,000. And $25,000 in 1885 was a considerable amount of money. But Braden's information was so correct that he could not be sued for libel or slander because it was true. The case was thrown out of court. Clark Braden never had to step foot in court, and the man who sued him had to pay all of the court costs. Why? Well, because the experiment that was undertaken to show the world that atheism is a solid philosophical foundation for society is flawed at its core. And as you go to liberal Missouri now, you can still see liberal. In fact, the population 779. What's interesting about the population of 779, there are 20 or some odd different religious groups that meet now in liberal Missouri. As you go down the main street, it's only one main street, it looks like an old western town with those high windows and saloon-looking buildings. But in virtually every one of those, there's some religious group that is meeting there. There are over 20, if I understand it right. You can see that George Walser, who was the founder, named one of the roads after himself, one of the avenues, Darwin Drive. There was a Robert Ingersoll lane there for the skeptic Ingersoll. And that was how liberals started. What's interesting about Walser's experiment is he saw that it failed. Not only did he see that it failed, but later, apparently, he started taking a much more closer look into the teachings of Jesus Christ and realized, I was wrong. In fact, I was very wrong. And so if you go to liberal Missouri, it's got the most interesting cemetery situation I've ever seen. All of the graves are in a big circle. 
It's a perfect circle all around with a singular empty tomb in the middle. Well, it's supposed to be a, it was going to be a grave. Now it's just a plot of grass that's in the middle of all of the other graves there. And that was supposed to be where George Walser was going to be buried. I mean, he founded the town. He was going to be buried right there with all the other skeptics and unbelievers. Well, he realized, hey, I've been wrong about this. In fact, he started looking at the teachings of Christ and completely changed his mind and said, no way am I going to be buried in liberal Missouri with all of these unbelievers and skeptics. I'm going to be buried in Lamar, Missouri. So about 45 miles outside of liberal Missouri, there is George Walser's tombstone who later became quite a philanthropist and I don't believe he ever actually converted to become a New Testament Christian, but someone who said they believed in God and believed in the teachings of Jesus, he did, and he changed his life. After he realized atheism is no kind of philosophy to found any type of society on. And so what we're going to do is look at this singular idea. What happens to a society that says, there is no God, and we're going to act like it. What are the fruits of atheism? Well, before you start looking at the fruits of atheism, the quick question would be to ask, what are the fruits of Christianity? What happens when people start acting like Christians? Now, this is a statement, if you'll look by Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell wrote an essay titled, Why I'm Not a Christian. He was not the Christian's friend at all in any shape, form, or fashion. But here's what he said about Christianity. He said, Christianity, as soon as it conquered the state, put an end to the gladiatorial shows, not because they were cruel, but they were idolatrous. The result was to diminish widespread education and cruelty by which the populace of Roman towns were degraded. It did much to soften the lot of slaves. It established charity on a large scale, inaugurated hospitals. Although the great majority of Christians failed lamentably in Christian charity, the ideal remained alive. And every age inspired some notable saints. It passed over modern liberalism and remains the inspiration of much that is most hopeful in our somber world. Now, what does Russell say? He wrote an essay titled, Why I'm Not a Christian. But he said, Christianity remains the inspiration behind much that is most hopeful in our somber world. What if everybody acted like Jesus told people to act like? What would happen? You would do unto others as you want them to do to you? You'd look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others? You would be kindly affectionate one to another, Loving one another as brothers, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. You'd be fair in business. The employers would treat their employees in the way that they would want to be treated. The family situation would be where the wife was subject to the husband and the husband loved his wife like Jesus Christ loved the church and there was mutual respect and submission. The children would obey the parents and bring honor to them while the parents brought them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Wouldn't you like for a society to every person behave in the way that 1 Corinthians describes love? Love does not boast. Love is patient, love is kind, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. Wouldn't that be an exciting place to be a part of that type of society, whether it's a church or a, a community or a family? Notice what Bertrand Russell admits. Hey, when, 
when Christianity actually is put into practice, it does great stuff. Well, what happens when atheism is put into practice? The problem with the atheistic idea, the the first problem, is that according to atheism, you are here because of random processes that have no purpose and that a blob of primordial slime somehow evolved into an amoeba that somehow evolved into a human and there's nothing more than that. There's no purpose, there's no soul, there's no spirit, there's, no, there's nothing. And so when you start asking atheism to provide for you a basis upon which you can make any type of moral decision, well, it just can't do that. Darwin Day Address, 1998, a man by the name of William Provine said, Naturalistic evolution has clear consequences that Darwin understood perfectly. No God's worth having exist. No life after death exists. And now look at number three. No ultimate foundation for ethics exists. You see, if there's no God, who's to say what's right and what's wrong? Well, why would you say lying is wrong when another person says lying is right if you're an evolved blob of primordial slime and this other person is too and they say it just as vehemently as you say it, who says you're right? You see, the problem with atheism is there's no foundation whatsoever to say some things are right and some things are wrong. Now, you don't have to take my word for that. That's William Provine. William Provine was one of the foremost atheistic biologists at Cornell University. And he's telling you, hey, if you're an atheist, you really can't have a foundation to decide what's right and wrong. Well, that doesn't seem like all that big of, okay, yeah. Well, what does that mean, really? What if there is no foundation for right and wrong? Well, I'm going to show you what a society would look like if there were no foundation for writing. Charles Darwin, Provine said, understood this perfectly. And the fact of the matter is, Darwin did understand it perfectly. He said, a man who has no assured and ever-present belief in the existence of God or of a future existence with retribution and reward, heaven or hell, can have for his rule of life, as far as I can see, only to follow those impulses and instincts which are the strongest or which seem to him the best ones. Okay, if you're an atheist and you don't believe in God and you don't think there's a heaven and hell, what's the way you make your decisions? Whatever seems the best to you at the time. So you go down to your local steak joint and you order a T-bone steak. Well, there's somebody that's sitting next to you and they're much smaller than you and they order a T-bone steak and you ordered the 12 ounce, they ordered the 12 ounce, yours comes out, looks like about an 8 ounce, theirs comes out, looks like a 24 ounce. You're hungrier and bigger than they are, you think, and so you walk over to their table, you say, hey... Steak looks good, I want it. They say, no, this is the steak that was brought to me. You can't have it. Give it to me right now or I'll take it. You punch the person in the face, you take the steak. Have you done anything wrong? You just follow the instinct and the impulse that seemed the strongest to you at the time. Now, what Darwin and the rest of the atheistic community would say is, we can't say he did anything wrong. Now, we're going to lock him up and put him in jail because we don't want him to do that to us again. But if you're just asking, did he actually do something wrong? We cannot say he did anything wrong. In fact, there's no foundation for right or wrong in the atheistic framework. Now, that's why when you go to Psalm 14.1, you read, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, we stop right there most of the time, and we don't read the rest of it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is the paramount of foolishness to deny the absolutely 
positively proven fact that there is a God. But the text then is going to explain to you what happens when people do deny that. They are corrupt. They have done abominable things. There is none who does good. No, not one. And you'll recall maybe over in Romans chapter 1 when the Bible says that those people didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. So God gave them up to a debased mind to do those things which were unseemly. What happens when people reject the idea of God? They lose a foundation for any type of morals or ethics. And unrighteousness in every shape, form, or fashion infiltrates that society. And as you will be able to see, it's even, it's even more disgusting and dastardly than you really think. Dan Barker, who was in a debate with a man by the name of Peter Payne, said in this debate that the question was on morals and ethics. And hey, how can atheism provide for you any type of moral foundation? And here's what Barker said. There are no actions in and of themselves that are always absolutely right or wrong. It depends on the context. You cannot name an action that is always absolutely right or wrong. I can think of an exception in every case. So after he made that statement, one of the students from the university came to the microphone and said, would it ever be right to rape a person? Barker said, well, you know, some of these things are so outlandish, it would probably never happen. But yes, I can think of a situation in which it would be morally uh, obligatory, be your moral obligation to do that. And here's what he said. If aliens came down and said, we're going to kill everybody on planet Earth unless you did that, then yes, it would be right. So I knew he said that back in 95. And so in 99, I said, Dan, do you still believe that this statement is true, that there's no action in and of itself that's always right or wrong? He said, yeah, I still believe it. I said, you made that statement in, in 2005, rather. I said, you made that statement in 2005. We were debating in 2009. I said, you still believe that? What about two people? He said, yeah, I think you would need to do that. It's two people to save everybody. I said, what about 2,000? He said, yes, 2,000. I said, what about 2 million? You see where you're going with that. There's no foundation for any type of ethics. And the question is just simply, what do you feel like in this instance would be best in your opinion? And of course, you understand that people's opinion on what feels best in a certain situation is no grounds for a moral decision. In fact, atheism can't even really say something's morally right or wrong. All atheism can say is, well, uh, is that, did you feel strongly about that? Well, I felt like that was, okay, well, that's, that's all we can say about that. And as you continue, you start looking at these questions, okay, so what would atheism say about killing unborn children? Now, we can understand exactly what God would say about killing unborn children. It makes a very big difference what you believe about humans compared to animals. In fact, if atheism is true, you're just a higher animal. That's all you are. You are not different in any reasonable way from the dog that you have in your house or in your yard and that there's no more moral value to you than there is to a rat or to a pig that you just happen to have intelligence, but it's not a different kind. It's just higher. You just score better on an IQ test than your pet dog, and you'd both have the same ultimate value. Now, if that's the case, from the evolutionary standpoint, from the biblical creation framework, there's something very different. God creates all of the animals on days five and six, and then he creates humans in his own image. And humans are different in a fundamental way from everything else. There's a reason you eat fried chicken at a 
potluck dinner and there's a reason why you don't eat human. Why is that? Because chickens are animals and they don't have a soul. They have no spiritual significance and you can eat fried chicken. But animals are something that are totally different than humans if there's a God. If there's not a God, well, if there's not a God, then chickens and humans aren't fundamentally different. One of them just happens to be bigger and a little smarter. And as you continue to go through this idea, abortion and atheism, well, you'd never get the idea from the Bible that you could kill an unborn child. In fact, from the Bible, children are viewed as people from the point of conception all the way through the point of birth. The idea that we can somehow abort or murder a child in utero and it's okay because the child doesn't, have to be, doesn't happen to be born yet? That's an anti-biblical idea in every sense of the word. In fact, the same word that was used to describe Jesus and John the baptizer in utero. Maybe you'll remember the story where Mary comes to her relative Elizabeth and she is carrying John the baptizer in her womb and John jumps there in her womb, basically, when he is presented with Mary who is carrying Jesus. That same word used to describe John is the word used to describe Jesus after he is born. Humans are humans from conception. The Bible says that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. There's no possible way you're ever going to get the idea that it would be all right to kill an unborn child in a creation framework. That's murder. It's just straight up murder. That's all it is. You can call it what you want. You can slap a technical title on it, call it abortion, call it clinical, call it a surgery. No, what you're doing is killing an unborn child. We're doing that and have been doing that on the, to the tune of since 1973, we've killed 2,500 babies every single day on average. Now, when the Twin Towers fell and those terrorists flew those planes into those Twin Towers and then the Pentagon, etc., that day, those terrorists killed about 2,500 people. And our president got on international television and said, we're going to hunt terrorists down. We are not going to put up with this. We're going to bring justice. That day, the United States killed 2,500 of their own citizens and called it abortion. The day before that, they killed 2,500 of their own citizens. The day before that, they killed 2,500 of their own citizens. We've been murdering our own people to the tune of 50 million of them since 1973. We only have 330 million people in the United States of America at the present. Uh, we've killed one-seventh of our entire population in the last 40 years. Now, where do you get the idea that that would be all right? You cannot get that from creation. You can't get it from the Bible. It's, it's diametrically opposed to everything that God says about the sanctity of human life. I'll tell you where you could get it, though. Charles Darwin said, you know, there's no real fundamental difference between man and the higher mammals in their faculties. He says, you put a chimpanzee, you put an ape, you put a human right here, and yeah, the human might score better than the chimpanzee on an IQ test, but it's not different. It just happens to be a little bit higher degree, not fundamentally different. You put my wife and me on the same pew, and I take the IQ test, and my wife scores three points higher than me. Well, it's not like it's a fundamental difference. She just scores higher than you. Well, okay, you score a little bit higher than the chimpanzee, but it doesn't mean you're different in any way. You're just a little smarter. That's what Charles Darwin says. Well, Barbara Burke says, you know, among some animal species, infant killing appears to be a natural practice. Could it be natural for humans too? A trait inherited from our primate ancestors, Charles Darwin said, 
in the descent of man, that infanticide has been probably the most important of all checks on population growth throughout human history. Where could you go to justify killing your unborn children? Notice what Barbara Burke says. Animals do it. You know, years and years ago, we used to coon hunt when I was growing up there in Columbia, Tennessee, right below Nashville. My dad bought a coon dog that was a very high-priced, pedigreed coonhound that was great at hunting raccoons. In fact, she would find one. If you let her out, she would hunt till she found one. Sometimes she'd go three miles. And they had to get one of those little trackers and put it on her and find her. But she had, I think, the first litter of puppies that she had, they were supposed to go for about a thousand bucks a piece. She had eight of them. And she ate seven of them. She thought she could only raise one puppy at a time. I think the next time she had 12, ate 11 of them. Thought she could only raise one puppy at a time. Well, Barbara Burke says, look, she didn't feel like she had the resources as a dog to take care of eight puppies and so she just killed them and if humans are not different than animals then it'd be all right for humans to do that same thing do you see where this goes the idea of atheism is not a oh hey we just got you know atheism over here and you know, you be an atheist and I'll be a Christian and we'll get along as good buddies and that's fine and we'll just all be happy and friends and you can just hold on to your atheism. It's not an innocent idea that won't do any harm. Now, the atheist lots of times will point to his own life and say, well, hold on just a second. I am an atheist but I don't think you should kill your kids and I don't think that, that I think there are moral values, etc. Okay, you think that in spite of your atheism, not because of it. Are there people right now who call themselves Christians who don't act like it? You know there are. They would say, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I believe in His teachings, but then when you look at their way of life, they don't put into practice Jesus' teachings. Are there people who would call themselves atheists, but in many respects act like Jesus said act? Sure. But that doesn't mean that atheism itself does not imply an immoral, very base system of belief and practice. You know, it's one thing for somebody to say, I'm a Christian. It's another thing for them to put it into practice. It might be the case that someone says, I'm an atheist. But it's another thing when you see atheism put into practice, just like you did there in liberal Missouri. So as you continue with this line of thought, Peter Singer says, and now, now let me tell you who Peter Singer is before we read this. Peter Singer is supposed to be the world's foremost ethicist. I saw a YouTube video with Richard Dawkins, who's the world's leading atheist, and Peter Singer. And here's what Dawkins says about Peter Singer. He says, you are the most moral individual that I know. Okay? So Peter Singer has written all kinds of books on ethicist, on, on ethics. And ethics are supposed to be how you decide what's right and wrong. And supposedly, Peter Singer, according to Richard Dawkins, is the most moral person that he knows. All right, now, he's an atheistic ethicist, and here's what he says. If we compare a severely defective human infant to a non-human animal, a dog or pig, for example, we'll often find the non-human to have superior capacities. Only the fact that the defective infant is a member of the species Homo sapiens, a human, 
leads it to be treated differently from the dog or the pig. Species membership alone, however, shouldn't be relevant. He says, you know what we've done in the past? you got a human over here, you got a dog over here. We've said you can kill the dog, but you need to keep the human alive. And do you know why we've said you need to keep the human alive? Just because it's human. And he said, that's not relevant. Let's think about that. Number one, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says that God created humans in his own image. And in Genesis chapter 9, you realize that God says to Noah and his descendants, you can eat every single animal that's on the planet, but any person who kills a human will be called to account for that. And then you come to the Declaration of Independence and you listen to this statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among those rights are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where do you get the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? From the creator. If you get rid of the creator, what else goes with it? The right to life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you then throw all life into a big bucket and say, you know, it doesn't matter if it's human or dog or pig or whatever. Whichever life is going to be the most productive for our society, that's the one we keep alive. And if it happens to be the dog, then it happens to be the dog. It shouldn't matter if one's human or not. Because according to atheism, there is no image of God. And so he says, we've been keeping the human alive because they're human. Let's get real here. And then he says, if we can put aside the obsolete and erroneous idea of the sanctity of all human life, we might could start looking like at this stuff as it really is. Now listen to that. If you take away the idea of God, then you immediately remove the sanctity of human life. And so where does that lead? Peter Singer says, nevertheless, the main point is clear killing a disabled infant is not morally equivalent to killing a person very often it's not wrong at all he said you know we've kept disabled infants alive because they've been human and there'd be a german shepherd that you could have kept alive and bred to be a good drug dog but we've taken our resources and kept this human alive and the only reason we've done that is because they're human you see the problem with this once you get rid of the idea that there is a God and that humans are made in God's image, you then get rid of the idea of the sanctity of all human life and you start to completely misunderstand what ethics is all about. As we continue, James Rachel says, you know an infant with severe brain damage, this guy taught at the University of Alabama. He said, even if he survives for many years, he may never learn to speak. His mental powers may never rise above a primitive level. In fact, its psychological capacities may be markedly inferior to those of a typical rhesus monkey. In that case, moral individualism, the atheism we're talking about here, would see no reason to prefer its life over a monkey's. So, you know, you might have a person that they're never going to be very smart at all, and the monkey is going to be much more active and smarter than that incapacitated person. Okay, so what do you do then with the person or with the monkey? Notice what James Rachel said, you know, some unfortunate humans, because they've suffered brain damage, they're not rational agents. What are we to say about them? The natural conclusion, according to the doctrine we're considering, would be their status is that of mere animals. And perhaps we should go on to conclude that they may be used as non-human animals are used. Perhaps as laboratory subjects or as food. 
Now, I want you to see what I'm doing for you. This is not Kyle Butt saying the implication of atheism is you lose the sanctity of all human life and that would lead people. No, no, no. This is the higher ups in the atheistic community admitting that atheism leads to the loss of the sanctity of human life, which then leads to the idea of, you know what, I mean, if we could really get something out of these humans that we find not really valuable then we should go ahead, maybe use them as laboratory subjects, maybe use them as food. I mean, what then happens if you start thinking, you know what, we're going to say that a human that needs to stay around must have at least an IQ of 60. Who makes that mark? I mean, who says at this point the human should be kept alive? At this point, it shouldn't. He shouldn't. She shouldn't. What you will start to see is, well, when somebody... When someone hits this point of intelligence, or this point of intelligence, or this point of intelligence, or value to society, or age, or whatever, then it's at that point, because there's no real value to humans anyway, not any more than a chicken or a dog or a pig, you see why liberal didn't make it. You see why a society based on this atheism just cannot prosper, because the fundamental value of human life is lost. And as you continue with this idea, in 2006, there's a man by the name of Dr. Eric Pianca. He was voted the Texas Scientist Educator of the Year. There are about 400 people in this particular assembly that were there to witness him receive his award. As you read about how this went down, Pianca goes up to the cameraman before he stands up to speak. And he tells the cameraman something, and apparently he tells the cameraman not to film what he's about to say. So the cameraman, kind of in disgust, shoots the camera up to the ceiling, and Pianca then stands up, and he is a scientist who studies reptiles. He stands up and says that humans are the bane of planet Earth, that they are causing the extinction of other valuable organisms and that his reptiles that he's been studying are just as valuable as humans, if not more so, because we've got so many humans around. And he says the solution to our problem is we need to kill 90% of all the human population. And he says, to do that, what I think would be best is an airborne Ebola virus. If we could just kind of manufacture a a good airborne Ebola virus, it would kill people in about three or four days, wouldn't be all that messy, and we could wipe out about 90% of the Earth's human population and make this place a better place for all the other organisms to live. Now, what you would like to think is out of the 400 Texas educators who are in the room, they are appalled at the mere approach to the thought that you should kill 9 out of 10 people on the planet. Instead, what they did was gave him a standing ovation and applauded his thinking that, hey, let's kill 9 out of 10 people. One of the reporters came up to him, if I understand it correctly, afterward and said, are you volunteering to be one of the 9 of the 10? I don't think he volunteered. But as you look at the reaction to his statement, this is a student 
who's listening to what he says. And the student says, you know, Dr. Pianca's talk at the TAS meeting was mostly of the problems humans are causing as we rapidly proliferate around the globe. He's a radical thinker, that one. I mean, he's basically advocating for the death of all but 10% of the current population. And at the risk of sounding just as radical, I think he's right. Does it surprise you that students load automatic weapons and walk into their schools and kill as many people as they can and then kill themselves with this kind of thinking? Do you know one of the first school shootings, that Columbine school shooting, one of those shooters was wearing a shirt that said natural selection. They put on their post on the internet that we as natural selectors will go in and eliminate all who we see as unfit. They were putting into practice their evolutionary teaching, thinking if humans are no better than animals, we can just shoot anybody we want because we have as much right to determine who lives as anybody else. And if atheism is true, they were right. But atheism is not true. And they were not you teach young people that they are animals what do you think they will act like animals this is a statement by Jeffrey Dahmer I don't know if you've read anything about Jeffrey Dahmer it's a very painful story to listen to Jeffrey Dahmer's dad was a member of the Lord's Church he taught him some about Christianity, but not very much. He was having troubles with his wife at the time, and they didn't really bring Jeffrey up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord at all. And Jeffrey bought into that evolutionary atheistic idea and subsequently put it into practice in a very real sense. Jeffrey Dahmer killed 19 men or boys, was convicted of 17 counts of murder, And did to them things that you would never even discuss in public. Just horrible, terrible. He was one of the worst serial killers in the last 50 years. Jeffrey was convicted of 17 counts of murder. He was not given the death penalty. He was given 400 years in prison, no parole ever of a chance. While he was in there... He was sent a Bible correspondence course that was World Bible School, Bible correspondence course. And he started taking it. There was a lady there who sent it to him. She had seen an interview with him and wanted to reach out to him to see if he would be willing to study with her. And so she started sending these World Bible School lessons. Eventually, he went through all of them and got to the one on the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins and he said he wanted to become a Christian and so a member of the Lord's church went into the prison system and baptized Jeffrey Dahmer into Christ for the forgiveness of his sin now in 1995 he was on a Stone Phillips interview where Stone Phillips asked him why did you think that you could do what you did to those other people and get away with it. And here's what Dahmer said. 
He said, if a person doesn't think there's a God, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? He said, that's how I thought anyway. And then he went on to say that I thought atheism and evolution were true, and I thought in my mind, what does it matter what one blob of slime does to another blob of slime? And he said, that's how I lived. I did to other people anything I wanted because I thought, we're just all slime here. And in the interview, Stone Phillips asked him, when did that change for you? And he looks over at his dad, Lionel, who was in the interview with him, and he says, Dad, when you sent me that creation science material, and if I understand it, some of that was from Apologetics Press, and we have a Lionel Dahmer manuscript in our library, and he was in contact with us at the time. He said, when you sent me some of that creation science material and I realized evolution wasn't true and there is a God. He said, at that point, I realized I had done something terribly wrong. In a very real sense, atheism would lead a person, if they're acting like an atheist, to commit the type of heinous crimes that Jeffrey Dahmer did. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story. When the brother went in to talk to Jeffrey Dahmer and explain to him the gospel, he said Dahmer understood it exactly right. And he understood that Jesus Christ died for his blood to forgive any sin. You know, now there are a lot of people who feel real uncomfortable with that. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer murdered 17, 19 people, was convicted of 17 murders. And, you know, there are a lot of us who, we've been sitting in a pew for years. And, you know, we've had some bad thoughts. We might have said a bad word every now and then. But we really kind of think we're pretty good. And we hear a story of a serial killer who hears the gospel and becomes a Christian. And in our minds, we kind of think, well, did he really? And I think I have heard a person say, well, if Jeffrey Dahmer's in heaven, I don't want to be there. Because we really think our sin's not quite as bad as his. You know, the fact of the matter is, it would take one sin to put Jesus Christ on the cross. That's it. When you look back at Adam and Eve's sin, and you see all Eve did was take a fruit from a tree she wasn't supposed to. She didn't kill anybody. She didn't heinously murder a person. She just ate from a tree God told her not to. But what did that do? Brought into the world a painful existence of sin-ridden humanity. You know, I think sometimes we think that we're a little better than Jeffrey Dahmer. And that we don't quite need Jesus' blood quite as bad as he did. Do you? Think that you're a little better than Jeffrey Dahmer? Because you're not. And I'm not. And the one thing that every single one of us who are accountable people have earned, the one thing that we have earned is death. We all deserve to go to hell. And that's a fact. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ now. The real question is, how powerful is the blood of Jesus? Could the blood of Jesus forgive a 19-count serial killer? Sure could. Just as easy and as quickly as it, forgive, as it could forgive Kyle Butts' sin. And maybe you'll remember when Jesus was talking to some of those very self-righteous people in the first century. And he explained to them that the person who sins much loves much when their sin is forgiven. But the person who feels like they've sinned little loves little. I was talking about Jeffrey Dahmer's situation and there was a lady who came up to me afterward and she said, let me tell you the rest of the rest of the story. Jeffrey Dahmer was put into 23-hour solitary confinement away from every other inmate for the sole reason that they wanted to keep him alive. Uh, because of the stuff he had done to some young kids, they knew that if they put him in the general population, they would kill him immediately. And he was in solitary confinement for his own safety. And she said she was working in this particular prison system, if I remember her story correctly. And she said he went to the warden and said, you need to put me out into regular circulation. And the warden said, they will kill you. We're putting you in solitary confinement to protect you. He said, I know they're kill they will kill me, but I think that's what I deserve. I've made peace with who I am, what I've done, and my God. And you need to put me out into regular circulation. And because of what he felt like he deserved, he insisted he get put back into regular circulation. And within just a few weeks, he was beaten to death with, I think it was a metal bar. And he died having become a New Testament Christian in jail. You know, atheism would teach you that there's no foundation for ethics you don't have ultimately an assurance of life or death or, or heaven or hell after this. When you die, it's over. That's it. Whatever you do with your 80 years here on this planet, that's all you've got. You can't do anything with that right there, man. That's solid gold. It's okay, man. I'm just trying to find my place. Okay. You know where we're going with this, don't you? If there's a God, then you have a soul. Your soul will live forever in one place or another, heaven or hell. And the determining factor is what you decide to do with your life. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son? Are you willing to confess that with your mouth and repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ and live like a Christian? Have you become a Christian, but you've forgotten how great it felt to be forgiven. You've forgotten that your sin is just as bad and powerfully wicked to put Christ on the cross as any other sin there is. And you've let your negligence of that feeling lead you to a life of spiritual apathy. Is there something you need to do to respond to the Lord's invitation this afternoon? If there is, I hope you will, as we stand and as we sing.